There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gratitude was something I really, really struggled with. So I kind of started to practice and sit there and like do these gratitude exercises over my head and really feel like grateful for being able to be on public transport, for going to a job that I really like, for having enough money in my account to buy lunch. All of the little things that I was grateful for in my life so that by the time I stepped out into the world on any given morning, I kind of felt like I was already good. Whatever happened after that was icing on the cake. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast, a show that explores the mind, soul, science and health as we speak with world-leading experts each week. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur and happiness researcher. Life is not straightforward, so join me as we navigate being human together and become what I like to call flexible thinkers. I believe that curiosity and education is the route for more happiness, love, connectedness, and the doorway to unlocking your unlimited potential. I hope you join me on the journey. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest because she's not only wise, wonderful, and just written a fascinating book on gratitude, but she's also a friend. This week, I'm speaking to TV presenter Angela Scanlon, who you may have seen on television screen near you, hosting shows for BBC, like the one show for Netflix, fronting popular makeover shows like Your Home Made Perfect and Your Garden Made Perfect. And you may have listened to her very own hit podcast, Thanks a Million. And on top of this she has her very own chat show angela has just released her first book joyrider how gratitude can help you get the life you really want and i read this book within days laughing along with every page she weaves in her journey exploring wellness with personal anecdotes and stories angela shares her own personal struggles with eating disorders anxiety postnatal depression and generously shares the tools techniques and teachings that helped her overcome all that she has gone through. The book is uplifting. It's so deeply honest and I related to so much of what Angela writes about. So if you've ever had those moments wondering whether you are enough, worked as hard as you possibly could in the hope it would take away the unworthiness you deep down felt, then I highly recommend this beautiful book. It will leave you smiling from ear to ear and most importantly, it will help you reach for the joy in your life that you definitely have. What is a favourite quote you return to often and why? This made it into the book and my dad, okay, he's from the west of Ireland. He is not, like, he has not read a self-help book in his life. This is not his <laughs> shtick. He's not even read this book. But he consistently, when we were growing up, more so in teenage years onwards, if we would think, oh, will I do this or will I try that? He'd say, go for it. You could be dead tomorrow. And I remember always thinking it was such a like grim, negative kind of thing to say. And now I realise that it's probably the basis of a Buddhist philosophy. 
And I think that kind of sense of being in touch with your mortality and the fact that we're not here forever and that um, it could all be gone tomorrow is so freeing in many ways. It's like, do you know what? I have, and you'll know this more than most, that like struggle with with perfectionism mm. is so debilitating. It stops you from doing things until you're ready, which you're never going to be ready until you start. You don't want to do things then unless it's, you know, fully formed or good enough, which is, you know, an ever-changing goalpost. And somehow I keep finding myself now going back to you could be dead tomorrow and it's like jump off the cliff go for it because we don't know how long we have well if anybody was looking for a sign to do something I hope that quote is it for you today if you are listening what is a life lesson you've been reminded of recently I guess it's kind of in a similar vein but My focus has often, particularly with work stuff, and again, I know this is something you relate to, is that kind of sense of the next thing. What's the next thing? And always moving on to the next thing. And I think I spent a very long time, even when I'd get like the good things, the things on a list, I'd get the hit of landing a job, the doing of the job. I didn't really get anything out of. I was already wondering what the next thing was. And I think I've kind of had to work really consciously on remembering that this right now is the gig, not the one in two weeks time or two years time. And so consistently pulling myself back into now going, this is what you wanted. Even if it's not, this is what you've got in this moment. And that actually the kind of process and the messiness of the process and the vulnerability that comes with that is the gig, not the actual gig. So true. And as you said, you know, I have to consciously remind Mm -hmm. myself of that. And I just think those words are so on the top of my mind. And how do you define or understand the soul? It's funny, isn't it? Because everyone talks about like, I'm like, oh, she's a good soul, you know, (laughs) and I kind of like throw that around a lot or not a lot, depending on who we're talking about. But I think it's, um, for me, that's the essence, isn't it, of the person. And so it's what you come in as. Like, I've got a brand new baby and I look at her and I'm like, that's, you know, her little chubby legs are obviously there and they'll grow in whatever direction. But like her soul just feels so pure. It's like that's what you're looking at all the time. And I think maybe over time we build up, you know, personas to kind of not mask or maybe protect our souls. Mm -hmm. But I think the soul is the thing that we come in with that continues on when our bodies fall apart um, and that our soul is here forever. I think I've been friends with people. My soul has been friends with people in past lives. I've I've been in relationships with people. I've like that idea of soul groups, I really believe in. And that kind of sense of meeting someone and going, I know you. Like I genuinely believe I know you. There's this beautiful paragraph in your book when you talk about, you know, here's to all my friends, those ones that have been good to me, bad to me, the souls that we knew each other in past lives, we we didn't know each other in past lives. And it really felt that journey of weaving through different souls and how grateful you were to each and every one of them. Yeah, totally. And I think I kind of Sometimes because I've moved around quite a bit, I kind of think of, um, I don't know, I guess we always 
really heavily celebrate old friendships and there's something magical about people that you've known all your life. But I think sometimes we forget that actually new friendships and meeting people when you're a completely different person than you were at five or at 15 or at 25. And so to meet people at like pivotal moments of your life who see you and see deep into you and don't want anything from you and there's no maintenance to the relationship, but there's a a kind of meeting of souls at a point in time and then it's gone and there's something like really beautiful about that. And for me, you know, during lockdown that kind of happened, I, I found myself in like little online circles and groups where we do ceremonies and and people that I've still not met in real life who dip in and out of my Instagram. And I'm like, I like, I feel you on a soul level and I feel seen by you in a way that my oldest friends might not recognize me. And so I think there's all of those different shades and, and shapes of friendships are so valuable and so brilliant. So I want to dive in to this brilliant book, And you start off with something that really made me giggle. You said, people are either cats or dogs, and (laughs) I'm definitely a dog. And it just really, I thought this was excellent. So would you mind sharing? What do you mean by this? So in my mind, I should say I don't have either a cat or a dog, so I don't even know that I'm qualified. But I think cats are kind of discerning and they're guarded and they're cool, You know, you have to earn their love. You've got to earn their respect and their trust. I get that. Dogs are like panting and smiling and wide open. And they're like, love me. I don't care who you are. Just love me. And I trust you until you fuck up. And even after that, I'll probably trust you again. There's just like an innocence and a kind of openness, I think, um, and I think I am that. And I, I should say that afterwards, I say, I wish I, I often wish I was a cat because I think cat, they're maybe less likely to be hurt or they're less vulnerable. But the open heartedness of a, of a dog is something that I've kind of maybe a dog person <laughs> is, is something I've grown to appreciate in not just myself, but in, in other humans. It's it just really made me laugh because I thought, oh my god, I'm such a dog. I'm just so looking for like you are people to tell me well done. I'm like, please yeah. love me. No, no, no. But it's that like it is that kind of and like you know we our paths have crossed for a million yeah. years in different states and points in our career, and it was always immediate like and that kind of opening of your heart and heart in your sleeve and like a real you know there was um a shorthand there I think you know and so I, I think that's what what dogs are like throughout the book you just drop these pearls of wisdom and also I feel that you know wellness and your journey through it has been fascinating to read because it can get heavily fluffy Mm. and really confusing and then one thing you say on page 72 which really rang for me and you say self-care is self-knowledge and self-care is just such an overused word and I loved when you said yeah it's self-knowledge explain what you mean by this So, yeah, I think self-care, you know, has been Instagramified and like Mm -hmm. I love a two hour long bath, throw in some rose petals. I like, (laughs) you know, I like those fluffy things as well. And I think they nourish us in certain ways. But often you're in a bath and you're taking a picture and you're not really 
in the bath. You're it's a kind of constructed thing and a box ticking mm. exercise. And I think you can do all of those things and not feel nourished or fed or held at all. And self-knowledge is something that I like, I just didn't know myself forever. And when you're not in touch with yourself, when you don't really understand yourself, then you don't know what you need. And I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. And I think for me, that kind of self-care is less important than self-compassion. And self-compassion only comes when you understand that you have limitations and needs as a human being. And that takes kind of boring introspection and but also care, enough care to want to get to know yourself, enough interest in yourself. And a lot of the time that can feel indulgent or or really painful or like a terrifying prospect to sit there and start digging around and really understanding yourself because ultimately you may feel like if you go in, there might not be much there. And that's what a lot of people I think feel is the fear that inside they might find a bad person or a boring person or whatever that might be, whatever your fear is or that, you know, shadow is thrown around a lot. And yes, self-knowledge is being brave enough to like root around and figure out who you are and in knowing who you are, giving yourself what you need. And that might be a sandwich as opposed to a massage. So yeah, I think self-care feels privileged. It feels fancy (laughs) and it Mm, feels Instagram worthy, whereas actually self-knowledge and whatever comes out of that can often be the like dull stuff that doesn't make it to the grid. But that is actually the thing that that you really need. Obviously, you've been on a really long journey Mm -hmm. of self-knowledge yourself. Where did that start and what has actually really helped you get to know yourself at a soul level? Where did it start? Like it's been really long and there's been kind of, I think some people will have like a very clear rock bottom. For me, there were there were multiple points where which I just kind of plowed through. <laughs> and so I kind of dabbled and then maybe my approach was just to stick a plaster on it and then keep going. So it was never really bottoming out, I suppose. And I talk about this in the book, that kind of period that I spent on the one show when I was I was covering for Alex uh, Jones while she was on maternity leave. And I had kind of dipped in and out and presented the studio show before. And then I did maternity leave. And it just felt like such a mammoth jump. And I just wasn't really prepared for it at all. I wasn't honest about what I needed. I didn't know what I needed. And that and that's part of it was that I kind of put myself in this position where I was so out of touch with myself and my needs that it was quite reckless almost. I put myself in a position where my it could have been really detrimental to my career. But more than that, on a human level, I, I, I was in a position that should have been like the win, it was the it was a huge coup is what it felt like from a career point of view to, to land this big show in front of however many million people every night. And I just felt really, really miserable, really overwhelmed. And like there was lo- no sense of joy. There was no sense of accomplishment. There was no sense of pride, I guess. And I'd worked really hard and I thought this is like, this is the win this is much more than I kind of had hoped I might get to. And I feel nothing. 
that was a really like terrifying point to get to in my mid thirties to go, I've done it in my head, what it was. And I, and I just felt really like hollow and numb and nothing. And so that was a kind of kick in the arse for me to go, right, I don't think the work stuff, like obviously I'd been told it and I'd certainly read it before that that kind of search and that like drive for validation and all those things that live outside yourself are ultimately not going to really fill you up. But I thought, fuck them, they don't have a shiny job like me. (laughs) I was like, whatever, losers say that. (laughs) So I kind of, I I just like naively ignored all of it and thought I'll prove them wrong. And I didn't. So that was one of those points. And then I continued on and again, got other jobs, but like felt so like I would eventually land and, and feel something. And then and then I had my daughter and that was just the turning point for me because I kind of like I just couldn't really sit with myself. I was on maternity leave. I was looking at around at people in this, you know, quote unquote baby bubble, feeling this love. And I genuinely until this time round was like, that is absolute nonsense. That has never happened. Like that does not happen because my experience was so different and I was really I was kind of frightened by my experience I suppose and by it's not that I didn't feel love but I just didn't really feel much of anything at all and so I thought okay I really need to like sort myself out and I thought this wasn't a professional thing this was a like a personal you know one of the hugest most life-changing what should be the most joyful experience of my human life <laughs> is, you know, creating a, a little being. And even though up until that point, I kind of didn't give myself the gift of therapy, I was like, okay, I mean, for her sake, I need to get to the bottom of this. Because I was like, I don't, whatever this is, and however I'm like approaching life, I don't want her to inherit this. And I kind of was aware of that. So that became the the real driving force for me. You're so vulnerable and honest how you talk about how you're feeling, especially in those first few months after having a baby, which, you know, feels actually a very new conversation for mums to finally be bursting this bubble of like, it's not all glorious sunshine and smiles. It's a, can be a deeply lonely experience. And you know, more and more do I question whether actually it's the system that we're in, the the culture that we have created for women that is making this experience harder than possibly ever before. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. And I mean, I know I sound like a granny to blame everything on Instagram and I don't think it's the case because actually I think that's just a, a kind of magnified version of it. But there's so much pressure. There's so Mm. much pressure on us to like have it all. And the truth is that you can't. Mm. (laughs) The realisation of that is really galling and really maddening. It certainly was for me because I kind of thought, of course I can have it all. And so my version of having it all was having a baby, going back to work and continuing as I always had. Mm. And there are payoffs for that, you know, like having it all And going back to work means you are not 
with your baby. And like, that's a reality of life for financial reasons, for self-fulfillment, for all of the reasons. But it's knowing that there is a trade-off and that it might be short-term or it might be long-term. You might be able to fill in the gaps later. You might not have a choice. And there's so many different shapes, I suppose, that that takes. But to create a notion that we can have it all with absolute ease, it's dangerous, actually, because it puts so much pressure on people to just assume that if they don't have that and if it doesn't feel easy and effortless and fucking fabulous, then they're <laughs> they're doing it wrong, you know, when they're like, yeah, failing at it or they're they're defective. And I think so many people operate with a, a kind of hidden belief that there's something wrong with them and then they become parents and, and the fate of their children is in their hands and they're like. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh my God. I'm going to be found out now. The other conversation which you share in your book that I really do not see enough is talking about eating disorders because it's, again, something that we all like to hide underneath the table. And I've mm-hmm. had years of like disordered eating in different ways. It's something that feels like having a baby feels so normal. So how on earth? Like it, they're so subtle in many ways. Yeah. Why was it important for you to bring that into the book and share your story? So I think from a selfish point of view, I kind of felt like I was presenting two versions of myself. And that part of me was, so, you know, it was 15 years in to a greater or lesser extent, depending on on my state of mind or whatever at the time. But it was it, like, it's a long time and it's a big part of like really important, formative kind of years. And I just buried it. And in doing that, I felt like I had buried myself. And it was kind of this thing that existed in a little shame pit. And I was like, I think I kind of felt like it needed to come out and that it was going to come out in unhealthy ways anyway. So I kind of, there was a sense of, it's almost like a little gift to myself. I mean, it fills me with wild anxiety, the idea that I've actually put it out there now. But it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm no longer going to allow it to feel like this shameful, hidden little secret. And then I guess, you know, for my younger self and when I was in the depths of it and in the very isolating and I, it started with bulimia. It started almost like as an experiment 
and then progressed and it kind of flitted between bulimia and anorexia and yeah, disordered eating generally. But like, but I remember as a teenager in the depths of that and in my early 20s, kind of watching Karen Carpenter like a biopic and seeing her, you know, die from the results of her anorexia. And then the other depiction of an eating disorder was Jerry Halliwell when she wrote her autobiography and she talked about her and hers was more bulimia, although anorexia definitely as well, I think. Um, But she talked about being at a party in George Michael's and going through his bin and it was this kind of like feral, out of control compulsion but it was my perception of it was that was that it was almost like this grubby, embarrassing kind of out of control woman. And so those were the two characters, if you like. So you were either going to die or you were going to be ridiculed. And I kind of wished that there was somebody that I might relate to who had come through it, who had, you know, managed to have a relationship, to have children, to have created a life they're proud of and that feels normal and like a bit shiny in places. And that that feels really hopeful to me. And sometimes in the depths of that kind of place, it can feel really hard to find any sort of hope. And you feel those overwhelming feelings and there's no sense that you'll ever be able to feel anything else. And for everyone who's listening, Angela includes all these exercises throughout the book to help you explore your own patterns, your own soul diving, Mm -hmm. to really help you go on this journey with her, which brings me to being a joyrider. Going through these journeys that so many people you know, will relate to because I know I certainly did. And you then provide us with such hope. Tell me, what is a joyrider? A joyrider. I mean, for starters, it's a great title. (laughs) Can you tell I work in TV? I was like, I've got an idea. I don't know what's in it, but it's called joyrider. But I think, so gratitude, as you mentioned, I have a podcast called Thanks a Million. I have delved into all of these different things over the years, you know, psyche and gong baths, more traditional therapy, but like a lot of the more alternative stuff, which by the way, I still love. But gratitude was something that I kind of found probably through the secret initially, Paul McKenna, you know, read books on, and it was kind of this idea of already feeling appreciation for things somewhere in the future. But in order to get into that zone, you have to really appreciate where you are in the present. And that was something I really, really struggled with. So I kind of started to practice religiously. I get quite obsessive and committed to things. So this was like every day I was personal shopping at the time as a job and I would go in and out on the Lewis, which is like our tube and sit there and like do these kind of, you know, gratitude exercises over my head and really feel like grateful for being able to be on public transport, for going to a job that I really like, for having enough money in my account to buy lunch, whatever it might have been, and to kind of properly shift into a state of being that felt, you know, whole rather than lacking. And so gratitude became this thing that I kept coming back to and back to and back to. And Abraham Hicks then came into my life and I was like, like she calls it rampaging. And so I started to do this practice where I would get into this snowball where I'd like 
pull out these things, all of the seemingly little things that I was grateful for in my life so that by the time I stepped out into the world on any given morning, I kind of felt like I was already I was already good. Whatever happened um, after that was was icing on the cake. And it's just a kind of sh- an, an ability to shift, you know, your energy. And we all know you wake up in a shit mood and things go from bad to worse because what you're, me- you're, you're met with is is on a level with where you are. So if you can intercept that energy and and shift back into a state of feeling a bit better everything everything changes and so that to me feels proactive and empowering and hopeful and for someone who's a total control freak I'm like I don't want all these fluffy things give me something I can do now and I think so much of of the wellness industry is is built on selling you know product and gratitude doesn't you don't need any money you need a bit of time, but you don't need any stuff to do it. You're so right. I mean, the science behind gratitude is absolutely phenomenal. Helps mm-hmm. you sleep better. Yeah. Every perspective you possibly have in life, it can change so quickly. And I just, again, love how honest you are in saying some days it is really fucking hard to be grateful. Yeah. And so you include some tips on how you can shift your energy, even when the last thing you can do is think what you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. What are some of those gratitude hacks you use to really scoop you up on the days when you just can't get it so cold shower I'm I love like Wim Hof right (laughs) freeze your fear (laughs) freeze your fear so I love a bit of cold like if there's if I have access to cold water and can go for a swim great otherwise whack on the shower for 30 seconds or 10 seconds or however you can manage but like straight up to the cold and breathe in it not like run around freaking out it's about kind of (laughs) gathering yourself in that and I think there's something really empowering because you leave going okay I've got this whatever and quick question do you put your hair in depends on the day it's interesting <laughs> you ask that because I did watch it's on um, BBC at the moment that show and I'm like oh does it does he technically mean do I need to get my head in underneath there because that is another level <laughs> but no I will sometimes just do like my front I'll do my arms oftentimes my back I find harder than my chest it'll be different for different people just do it I mean there's again you don't need to do it perfectly just get in under the water Um, sing love singing Humming apparently is very good for like on a vibrational level. Earthing, like I'll get my socks off, go out into the grass, just like deep breathing. And you'll find a lot when you're in that kind of state that you don't even realize your breath has has gone so shallow. And you'll know this. I know all of that kind of belly breathing. And it's such a learned thing because so often we're we're breathing up here and it's like a teeny portion of our lungs. I love dancing to Florence Welsh. Dog days are over. I mean, whatever, cranberries I love. It's got to be like a slightly angry, maybe Alanis Morissette is good. So there's like a bit of, but whatever music it is. And it's just like shaking out your body. And they talk about, you know, dogs or, and actually I notice kids do it as well, not comparing, but when there's any little trauma or stress that you literally shake it out and we kind of stop because it looks a bit weird to be, you know, shaking your arse in the middle of a cafe when you've had a bad interaction with somebody. But actually just like (laughs) shaking it out is good. Hug, have sex, anything to just like shift you out of it. But I think it's it's knowing that you have the capacity to shift Mm. out of it. 
Mm. you know, and that that's in your, within your power. Absolutely. Love those tips. What I appreciated too is the discussion you have about celebrating your joy unapologetically because this is a really interesting point and I I know we've got American listeners too but in England there is a lot of conditioning around almost concealing your joy hiding your joy and as you write in the book it's actually okay to feel okay Mm. like you don't have to feel guilty in feeling okay now how do you navigate this because this is a sensitive one because nobody wants to be that person who's just like so deeply and sensitively like I am great. Everything's amazing. And then almost doesn't, again, acknowledge their humanity. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, let's celebrate joy. Yeah, totally. And I think, look, you'll know I feel quite affronted sometimes if I'm like, hi, how are you? I'm amazing. I feel so good today. Things are going really well. I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, stop rubbing it in, in our faces. We equate kind of the, like, outward celebration of joy as being like it's slightly obnoxious it's a bit cocky it's immodest and we've kind of I think have been conditioned to lead with what's wrong and then kind of allow for them to pull out that there's a you know there's also some good stuff happening by the way but I think that's a lot of that is born out of this kind of scarcity mindset and this Mm. idea that if you tell people you know things are fine they may take it off you or they'll wish it away from you or whatever else that actually it's safer to hide behind fear or lack or whatever else. But I do think that joy can be as challenging to feel as pain. Mm. And so we need to learn how to hold that as well and how to let it out, I guess, because as soon as you're like really in touch with joy, you realise that it doesn't last forever. And that can be quite a a tricky thing to hold, you know, it's like happiness, you know, the kind of pursuit of happiness as a constant state is like never going to happen. But I think if you understand that in the same way as you understand those black holes are also not forever, you can really like lean headlong into the good stuff because you're like the other stuff will come. That's fine. But at least I've kind of squeezed every last drop out of this good stuff. whereas. For me, for a long time, I was too afraid to go in either direction, afraid I'd drown under the weight of those big emotions, afraid I'd combust. Um, Or actually, joy, happiness, those all often contingent on your like love and connection with other people. And then you realise that those things can be taken away from you as well. So I think I was, as I say in the book, comfortably numb for a really long time and kind of didn't realise why I couldn't feel joy, but it was because I couldn't really feel anything. I didn't really allow myself. So lean in to the big emotions, good, bad and everything in between. And I, you quote Brené Brown as well, and she echoes that point. I learned that playing down the exciting stuff doesn't take the pain away when it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that just really resonated with me, what you just said there, in terms of actually when we downplay joy, it is through fear that someone's going to wish it away. Like physiologically, what does that do to us? Probably yeah. isn't great for our health either. But also it's really lonely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You're like, okay, I'm hiding my ambition, let's say, or or my desires for, for different things to happen. So if they don't happen, you're disappointed on your own. Nobody knows that you've not done the thing, but you're also celebrating on your own if you get the thing. And, and ultimately, you know, 
you just want somebody with you, good or bad. And you also discuss actually curate the people around you who can hold your joy. Yes. I'm big on curation and that sounds really obnoxious actually because it's like that's not how life is and I actually don't believe in just discarding people. I know there's a lot in the spiritual now world around getting rid of toxic people in your life and get as if you know you can just kill your brother or get rid of whoever has like given you a wrong look or said something that doesn't feel right in any given moment. And I don't think there's growth in that. I don't think it's how we're supposed to relate and and live with each other. I'm not saying if, if you're, if there's somebody who's consistently bringing awful things to your life, then obviously draw a line under it. But I think curating, this is more about the idea that we live on Instagram. We have to have all of these influences and we're powerless. And I think you, Instagram can be like an amazing place where you can look at people that expand you, that make you feel hopeful, that make you feel seen or that teach you things, that inspire you things. And you can literally like unfollow. It, it blows my mind that people don't just unfollow people that make them feel like shit. And that's not to say you unfollow people that trigger you. Because actually there's a lot to be learned from those people. And so, you know, it's navigating whether you're able for that, whether you really want to confront that in this moment. Otherwise, unfollow, put them on a list, go back to them later if that's what you want to do. But it's like you're able to decide who you surround yourself with in the physical world, but also in your in your online world. And that can be as lovely or as awful as you choose. I totally agree. And I think this leads on to how you finish the book, talking about the joy in surrendering Mm. and you say something which again really made me laugh you said none of us really have a clue what this life is all about and in a way it made me exhale because I suddenly was like oh allowing ourselves to even let go of thinking that we've got this sorted or under control is actually deeply joyful yeah it is so you're like oh we're all flying blind here. Nobody has like any idea. And there is a quote in the book and I won't be able to remember it off the top of my head, but it's like something like, um, the bad news is you're falling through the air, nothing to hang on to, no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. But I I I think surrendering to the fact that we have like no idea and that Mm. actually that's okay. And that maybe we're not even ever supposed to know. Like that idea that, you know, I kind of came to like self-help, the books, the therapies, all the modalities, even, you know, more traditional therapy with this notion that I would ultimately be fixed. And like, I'm not fixed. And the more I know myself, the more I realize I need to, you know, there's more there. But actually, that can also be like quite an amazing and exciting thing as well, rather than a terrifying thing. And so the idea that we're all kind of just aimlessly flying around gives me more comfort than fear. Gosh, when we release our need to control and that obviously leads into perfectionism and these crazy expectations that we have for ourselves, that we have for others, when we're able to let go and you teach people kind of how to in the book. Mm -hmm. So much, so much joy, so much yeah. more joy awaits. I know. And often that control comes from the fear that if you don't keep pushing, 
nothing will happen, nothing will come, nothing good will come. And sometimes the idea that maybe there's something bigger at play and that there's actually greater things in store for you. And maybe we don't always believe that on a really deep level. And if you can kind of just lie down and I say say that a lot and I do a newsletter and I'm like one of our most popular newsletters the title was just lie the fuck down and it was like this glorious idea of like proper surrender and rest as quite a radical thing and just you know it it will come you don't always have to push and fight and hustle and that's become I think quite a toxic word and culture and so I'm not saying you just lie down and everything comes to you, but just, you know, surrendering control a little bit in the belief that, like, you're going to be okay. On that note, thank you so much for this glorious book that you've written. And I can't wait for more people to read it. I think it's just so healing to know that we're all in the same boat in so many ways. Um, Where is the best place to find you? Ask questions. Do you have any events coming up? Do let us know. Instagram is probably the best place to find me. I have a newsletter where I explore a lot of this stuff. So that's all on my on my Instagram page and my podcast. Thanks a million. Amazing. We'll put this all in the show notes for people to find. And thank you again for being on the show. And thank you. And thank you for your gorgeous and brilliant questions and for reading the book and for being such a champion. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 